Hello, everybody. Welcome to Coffee Time with Crystal. I am your podcast host, Crystal Riley. My purpose is to help people live in freedom from shame, guilt, and condemnation. We are starting off by doing radical stories of forgiveness. I am excited. My profession is I'm a realtor and I run a Christian business networking organization called the Tapestry Network. I'm a mother of two teenagers and a wife of almost 20 years. I have a couple pretty powerful stories of my own about radical forgiveness and how I forgave my sexual abuser from my childhood. I am so excited to get to be on this journey with all of you. I look forward to meeting you and interviewing and helping you break free from the lies, guilt, shame, and condemnation that holds us back from what we're called to do. Hi, welcome to Coffee Time with Crystal podcast. I am your podcast host, Crystal Riley, and I am chatting and interviewing people for radical stories of forgiveness. And so today I would love to welcome Heather Murdoch, and she's going to share with us a little bit about her testimony. So I'm going to turn it over to you, Heather. Hi, Crystal. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to be a guest on your show today, and I love talking about the power of forgiveness. This will be, this will be awesome. Yay. So mm-hmm. You have a really powerful testimony. So let's take you back a little bit into your childhood and share a little bit of some of the traumatizing things that happened and uh, and working through towards forgiving your dad. Okay. So I know we were just talking about this. <laughs> I'm trying to like condense it, the short version. <laughs> Holy Spirit, help me. Okay. So um, basically I'm 51. So I was born in 1971 and uh, we lived out in the middle of nowhere here in Northern California. My parents were hippies. Um, although my mom doesn't really like that word, but that's for lack of a better word. They were hippies. They wanted to live off the land, kind of unplugged off the grid. And so we lived out in the middle of nowhere. We lived on 20 acres and we had no electricity no running water, no indoor plumbing. And so, yeah, so um, basically we lived in a school bus and a teepee and we lived at one point in a fifth wheel. I lived in a shed. I mean, we lived in, you know, just very unconventionally. And um, of course, I do want to say that my mom, even though we lived that way, my mom always did the best she could to make it a home. Um, it wasn't like dirty or anything. My mom always did a great job of, of keeping it, you know, trying to make it a home, like I said, but anyway, but it was really hard. And, you know, people say, oh, wow, it's an adventure, but it's like, yeah, for a weekend, it would be an adventure, <laughs> but you want to live that Not way. Not a lifestyle. <laughs> yeah. So my whole life, like literally until I moved out at almost 19, we didn't have any, any of those things. And so um, and not to, and on top of that, my father, who was an alcoholic, um, was also very physically abusive, emotionally abusive. And so I was the older sister. I had a younger sister named Willow and Willow was four and a half years younger than me. And so, um, my mom and I, and my sister, we just really did the best we could, um, to walk on eggshells as to not upset my dad and create, you know, setting off the drama, the trauma. Right. And so as a result of how we grew up, I had a lot of shame. I was very ashamed of how we lived. I mean, I never, not one time ever had someone come and stay the night at our house. I didn't want anyone to know how how we lived. We were very isolated, you know, no telephone, none of those things. And, um, you know, it was really, it was really hard. I was ashamed of of how we lived, but also the abuse um, created a sense of me of worthlessness. Um, I was also very plain and uh, homely and awkward. I wore big, thick glasses and the kids made fun of me a lot. Um, I was really fairly bullied at school and so had a lot of pain and suffering at home and then at school too. So I grew up with this just sense of I'm not enough. Um, I am you know, worthless. Um, I felt that if I were pretty, 
I got this like deception in my head at a very young age that if I were pretty and if we had a normal family and lived in a normal home that I would be happy. And so I put all of my, like, I used to just like totally live in my head. That's how I would pass the times, like living this fantasy life in my mind of this life that I wish I had. And if I had this life, then everything would be okay. And so all I ever wanted to do was be pretty. And so I put a lot of emphasis on that growing up. And then when I got into high school, I remember going from my eighth grade year to my senior year or freshman year, I kind of like blossomed quote unquote they say and all of a sudden I get to high school and I've got all these boys you know um paying attention to me Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden now I'm pretty and um you know I'm getting invited to the parties I become a cheerleader you know blah 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 all that right and so I early on became a perfectionist who would do anything to maintain that perfection because I could not allow that attention that I always wanted to 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 go right this is the lie that I believed and um I also at an early age became codependent where I believed that my um value, I would get my value from filling other people's needs, which is, if you think about that, I think a lot of women probably can relate to that, but my value is only if I can meet other people's needs. And so, you know, then that, that mindset, as you know, Crystal, those mindsets, so those, those lies that we believe as a child, if you don't get a handle on those and, and know what the truth is, they affect all of your decision-making as an adult. It doesn't just change because you can become an adult, right? And oh, so I think it gets right? worse. Actually. It gets worse. Yes. <laughs> it gets exactly. worse when the lies get bigger and bigger and our heads explode. <laughs> yeah. It's like a snowball effect, right? It exactly. is. Yes. And shame, as you know, shame can distort your self-image so much. I mean, shame was my identity. I am not just I have done something bad, but I am something bad, right? That's what shame says. I am something bad. And so I was drinking in high school and partying and doing the whole thing that I know a lot of kids do. And um, I ended up um, I ended up uh, in, in my senior year of high school entering a pageant and a friend of mine said that she was throwing up her shoes in the pageant with me and she told me oh I've been throwing up to lose five pounds for the pageant and I was like what do you mean throwing up we didn't talk about that back then I didn't even know what that meant yeah I had and, no idea what that meant. right I know that was like 1989 it was really not talked about that much and she said yeah I've just been throwing up and so I'm like wow I'd like to lose a few pounds I wasn't overweight but I wanted to be perfect. <laughs> I believed I had to be perfect to be loved. And so I tried it. And what, what started as an experiment became a 20 plus year addiction with bulimia. That's crazy. So, and it, I mean, it just shows you how much like we follow people or we see something and we want to try it. I mean, that's crazy. So in with the bulimia, cause I know that there's a lot of people that a lot of women, especially that struggle with their self-image and, um, I personally know people that struggle with bulimia. So how, so it's, it's an addiction. So how, and it just starts because you want to be perfect or you have that image. And then I I mean, there's just, there's so many questions. I don't know what's appropriate. Well, Well, let me just say really quickly that it is about perfectionism and perfectionism is usually linked with um, eating disorders, but it's more than that. It's also about control. And so I was, so my father had so much control over my sister and my mother and I so much control that this was the one thing that I could control. And that wasn't, um, 
something I was aware that I thought, but that looking back on it, I've learned psychologically it's about control. And it's one thing that I could, no one's going to take this from me, you know, that type of thing. And so I could eat what I want and get rid of the, of, of the after effect, you know, and not have to deal with the consequences of weight gain. And so it was a thing that I could control that nobody could take. But what it did is with someone who already had self-loathing is it created more shame and more self-loathing, which then drives you to do more of it. So this is vicious cycle. And honestly, I don't know if you know this, but eating disorders are considered mental disorders so it's literally so yeah it is and it, it is an addiction and so it's not like people say just stop doing it or if you're anorexic well just eat a sandwich okay well if they, said, they would head. right exactly exactly so it, it you know and i know this is all about forgiveness um but in you know so I just want you to know, let me give you a little spoiler alert. I have been free from bulimia now for 13 years. So I'm completely, yes, yes. So that's the good news. And it's all through Christ and the power of forgiveness. But, um, but yeah, that's what, and, and, you know, and you, you create this lifestyle of secrets because you're doing it, you know, secretly, right. And secrets, we know that we're only as sick as our secrets and the more secrets we have, you know, the more shame it creates and, shame, and, guilt and condemnation. And that's none of that is from God. That, that is part of what my podcast and the purpose of this and what God's asked me to do is help people have testimony. So I'm so excited that you bring up shame and guilt and, and even the condemnation. And so with the, all those feelings, so how, how did you actually, let me back up because you have an important part of your story that I'd like to share about your sister. So can you share a little bit about your sister and what happened? Yes. Yeah, so briefly, not raised in a Christian home at all, as you probably can determine by my story. And so, but, um, so I but did not have any uh, exposure really to Christ. Um, so I moved to Hollywood to make it as a famous actress, <laughs> you know, always looking for my identity and value in, in other people's views of me. And so think about getting to Hollywood, you know, I'm a massive people pleaser at this point, a perfectionist. I have bulimia. Do you think my problems got better or worse? <laughs> Much worse, right? <laughs> well, Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, Hollywood is looking for girls, for people, not just girls, but people like me that have stars in their eyes. And it promises you everything and leaves you with nothing if you allow it. And so I went through a lot there. Um, I was in a couple of movies. I was in a show. I did, I did some different things. Um, but, you know, that's where a lot of things got worse. Well, I moved into that moving from Hollywood to New York with a boyfriend. It was my father's age. I had a lot of father issues. Uh, at that time, I was 20. When, when I moved to New York, I was what, 22, 21, 22. Anyway, um, and then while I was there, I got a phone call um, that my sister, who still lived with my parents, she was 19, she had been killed by a drunk driver. And, you know, I had not because of my shame. And by that time, my parents were divorced and had been going through divorce. And because I just did not know how to deal with conflict because of my upbringing, I did not know how to deal with my own emotions and my fears and my anger at my father that I just kept running. And I had not talked to my family, Crystal, in a year wow. when my sister was killed. And so when, when I got that phone call and anyone who's lost someone, you know how the bottom just drops out like this just giant black pit just wants to suck you in. It's like bottomless and this grief and guilt. I had so much guilt because I had not talked to my sister and I was still not a Christian at this point. My, none, of, none of my family members were Christian, immediate family um, anyway. And so I ended up moving back um, from New York to, to back home to Northern California to face it all, you know, to be with my parents, to be with my mom specifically, my dad and I still don't have a great relationship. So I carried all this anger at God 
you know, during those years, I was 23, she was 19. And, um, you know, I'd always been there to protect her. And I felt like I let her down, I let my family down. And I thought that God was punishing me, that God was, you know, that he should have taken me, not her, is what I felt like. And so I believed he killed her to punish me. That's how I thought. And um, anyway, after many years, you know, I became a believer, um, not until I was 38 years old. So I went through many years after that point of being angry at God, um, not understanding, being angry at myself and, and all that. So that's how, yeah, my sister was killed. That's pretty crazy. So how did you become a Christ believer? What was there some great question, crazy story? <laughs> great, great question. Such a great little story. So, um, well, I think like many of us, um, I think all of us have a God-shaped hole in our hearts, right? We know that. And so all of us are seeking truth and many, some people, you know, um, it takes longer than some to find it. And for me, I was seeking, seeking, but um, I kept thinking Christianity, it was so narrow-minded and it's so like, no, Christ, no, Jesus, no, that's not for me, you know? <laughs> and and uh, but I did believe in a higher power of some sort. I just didn't know Jesus. And so, um, but my husband, I got married at 30 and my husband was a believer. Now he was not like on fire for the Lord and he was not like totally saying we're going to church and all that, but he had the Christian values and the worldview. And um, so here I am, we get married, we start having our kids, uh, Vince and I, that's my husband, we both start getting promoted and doing really well in our careers, both of us working in the same place, doing very well in our careers. He was ahead of HR, I was ahead of training and development, we're like the super couple, you know, like they're, you know, they've got these great jobs, great family, da, da, da. Well, I would stand in front of the room as head of training and development, and I would teach leadership classes and things like that and tell people, if you believe, you know, if you can see it, you can achieve it, and, you know, teaching all this self-help, right? Mm-hmm. but I felt like a complete fraud crystal. I felt like a complete, I had imposter syndrome. The more success I had, the worse I felt about myself. And I felt if anyone knew the real me, they could never love me. I felt so ashamed of who I was. And so I would many nights, I would be home on, you know, after the kids would go to bed, um, on our bed, tucked in the fetal position, crying. And my husband would come in and say, what's wrong? You know, like poor husband, like, why can't you be happy? You know? And I would just say, I don't know. I just feel so ashamed of who I am. And he, and he would hug me and he would just feel so helpless. And I was, I had serious depression, but I covered it all behind my mask. You know, I would go to work and everyone else, I was just doing great, but I was dying inside. One morning I get up for work and there's a gift on the coffee table and it's from my husband and it was not my birthday or anything, but I opened it up. I'll never forget. I open it up and it's a Joyce Meyer amplified Bible. And it's got my name in Boston gold and it's got the gold leaf pages. I get chills just thinking about it. My husband wrote on the inside, I pray you find the light you're looking for in these pages. Oh, Isn't that amazing? That is amazing. So the Holy <laughs> I think Spirit, I'm cheering up actually. <laughs> right? I know. It's so beautiful. The Holy Spirit totally, even though my, my husband wasn't at that time, like I said, on fire for the Lord, but he did hear the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit led him to help me, to throw me that lifeline, you know? And um, I ended up reading, like, I don't know what to do. I've never seen a Bible. I mean, I've seen one, but I've never read one before. And I just started reading, like, you know, probably from page one and based something in the gospels. And Crystal, I just, 
I just started falling in love with Christ. I just started falling in love with Jesus. Like I had, so I, I'm telling you, I had an encounter with the living God. I started feeling this, this love and, and, and light and, and peace. I never felt my entire life that I'd always been looking for in all the wrong places. You know what I'm saying? And I just start, and like, this is just between him and I, I wasn't even in church or anything. This is just him and I, like this God reads my mail. <laughs> this God knows <laughs> me. This God loves me. He forgives me. And I just gave myself to him. And I told, and it was such a profound encounter. It was so dramatic, like from dark to light, like he flipped on the light switch in my heart. And I just told him, I am yours forever. And I will do whatever you want me to do. And I will shout your name from the rooftops. And it's been that way pretty much, pretty much ever since. Wow. Um, that's a really, really powerful and amazing story just by reading and not just, but by, I mean, that's your husband didn't know what that mustard seed of faith that he was planting in you. Right. I mean, the ripple effect and how much it's, you know, changed the trajectory of your life. Yes. So how amazing for him to be obedient and to that prompting and do that. I'm not, I had goosebumps too, and a little bit of tears. Um, (laughs) like that's pretty powerful. Um, and that just, it, that's encouraging to hear that we never know what the effects of what we do for other people. And so it's amazing that he did that. And so hopefully people will do little things like that for other people. Yes. Never know the seed you're planting. That's right. Okay. So with, um, what was the process like? I mean, was it just overnight? Did it, was it months? Was it years? What was that process of, of discovering that light? And then and the forgiveness aspect of it. Okay. So another great story. And it's, it's so it's, oh my goodness, what the Lord did. So here I am on fire for him. We start going to church, blah, blah, blah. But this just happened within a few months period. Okay. Where when, uh, so I lost my job at that time and, but I was totally at peace because I knew that God had a plan. We got laid off and nothing we did wrong. Just got laid off, whatever the economy was, you know, struggling anyway. And so, um, I just had this total confidence and peace in him. And, um, a friend of mine invited me to start this home-based business with her, um, network marketing and never done before I'm like, I sure I'll try it out. And there was a lot of Christians in the business and everything. And so here I am a brand new Christian and I go to this business meeting because there's a young couple, not young couple, I'm sorry, a retired couple, older couple who wanted to hear about the business and they were going to be on my team. If you know anything about network marketing, you know, you're building your team, right? And so um, they wanted to hear the business and they just retired. And so I went to their house and met them in the afternoon. This is just a few months into being a Christian, right? And um, and so we're talking and chatting about Jesus and, and they're like, they're telling me we love your faith we love new believers because I was so passionate and finally I'm like well we better get down to business you know and so we start I start asking them like so what industry did you come out of and they're like well we came out of the mortgage industry well let me back up for a second crystal because this is so important to the story so willow my sister that was her name she died on december 18th 1994 and what happened is that she was coming home from the nutcracker ballet um, with her best friend her best friend's sister and her boyfriend they were on the car they weren't they were not drinking um they came home and a driver a man um named kelly he was driving home from his company Christmas party. And um, where his employer had said, if you're going to be drinking alcohol, you have to turn in your keys. Well, at some point in the evening, he wanted to go home, went to the owner of the company and said, I want to leave. And he said, have you been drinking? And the owner had been drinking too. So he didn't have a good judgment. And the guy said, no, I'm fine. Well, witnesses said that he couldn't even walk a straight line out of the party. And so he then got his keys, got his car and killed not only my sister, but her best friend and himself. So three people died that night. 
So that's, let me just say that. So now here I am now in this living room with this, this couple, right? And they tell me that they're from the mortgage industry, which is the same industry that this man that killed my sister worked in. And I said, oh my goodness. And I said, well, where are you from? And they go, Calaveras County. I go, oh my goodness, I'm from Calaveras County. This is like 13 years after her death, right? And, um, and anyway, lo and behold, guess what, Crystal? They worked and retired from the exact same company that they own, the guy that gave the keys. That was his, his, we'll just say his name's Don (laughs) for the sake of this story. Um, And so when they told me the the company and his name, I was like, oh my goodness. I said, do you know uh, about the accident? And they said, my goodness, what accident? And they go, wait a minute. Yes, there was an accident right before we started working there. And so I said, that was my sister. And we all three looked at each other and knew that there was about to be a divine appointment, uh, you know, um, unfolding here. Um, and so I said, do you have, she goes, she goes, Heather, I want you to know. She said, um, Don, the owner of the company, she goes, Heather, that devastated his life. She goes, um, that, that incident, what happened in your sister dying, those kids dying, she goes, that just devastated their family. They've never been the same since then. And Crystal, I want to tell you that in my own grief and pain, do you know that never once did I ever think of what they went through? My pain never allowed me to think of what they went through being the one that gave the key to a drunk driver being the responsible person. You know what I'm saying? Like I never thought about how it impacted their life. And what I've learned is that our pain makes us selfish. We just think of ourselves in our, in our, in our pain. And so here I am now face-to-face and these two are his best friend. And so, and she said, their life isn't, you know, his life's never been the same. I'm like, my mind's blown. And I said, do you have his number? She goes, well, of course he's our best friend. And I said, um, can I have it? And she said, why? And I said, I'd like to call him and forgive him. And she was like blown away. And as soon as I said it, I'm like, wait, <laughs> just kidding. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, oh my gosh. And then the fear kicks in like, well, you know, this is actually happening. This is really happening. And so I ended up, you know, she gave me his number. I'm staring at it. It's like surreal. My heart's pounding, you know? And so I ended up going to our church and getting prayer from our pastors. Cause I was terrified. Like, what am I going to say? What's he going to say? So a week later I called him and it was a phone call that was so life-changing crystal. I mean, I like to say that it was like this hallmark flowers and rainbows moment, but it really wasn't because he was angry. He was sad. He cried. He yelled all the, he went through this whole range of emotions that by the grace of God, I just listened and was able just to let him process. He said, no one from the family has ever called me, you know? And so he carried all this. And I, by the, like I said, by God's grace was able to just let him process. And at the end of it, he goes, what gave you the courage to call me? Like, you know, like defensively, you know? And I said, Jesus, I said, I'm a new believer. And I said, I told him how I got his number. And I said, I believe that that was a divine appointment. I said, I forgive you. I said, you made a mistake. I said, I've made so many mistakes. I'm just fortunate. I never killed anyone. I've done lots of wrong things in my party days. And I said, you made a mistake and I forgive you. And he just said, you know, and I said, I don't know if you, if you have faith in God, he goes, well, I'm a Mormon, non-practicing, you know? And I said, well, I said, I don't know what else to say other than I just hope that you can find some peace. And, you know, we did, we just hung up the phone. There wasn't like a lot of, you know, small talk or anything. And in that moment, I hung up the phone and um, I just looked up and I said, I can finally let you go. And I met my sister, like I can finally let her go from carrying that on my own shoulders. You know what I'm saying? And I immediately was able to like, I just felt like this million pounds left off my lift off my shoulders. And in that moment, I was able to see my dad 
as a lost little boy who needs Jesus. I was able to see my dad as a hurting person who really hurt us, but he's hurting too. And he did the best he could with what he had. I was able to forgive myself because I had carried so much on my shoulders that was not mine to carry, conditioned as a child to carry, to take responsibility for the adults around me. that was not mine to carry. I was able to forgive myself. I think that was probably the biggest breakthrough. I had so much unforgiveness for myself. And I was able to forgive God because even though I was in love with Jesus, I still felt like, why didn't he stop it? You know what I'm saying? So I was able to forgive my dad, the driver, God, myself. In that moment, it was a huge like revelation of forgiveness. And um, and it was just a couple of weeks later where I was just reflecting and journaling about all the Lord was doing in my life. And all of a sudden I thought, wait a minute, I have not had one thought about my food or about throwing up or counting a calorie or any of those things. Like I'd been obsessed daily for 22 years with bulimia. And I had not had one, like I'm free. And I'm like, wait a minute, I must be just be going through a good stage right now, you know? And, and no, I've been clear, uh, clean and sober and delivered and healed from bulimia, bulimia now for 13 years. And that's all because of the power, first of all, of his grace and his love and forgiveness and me being able to receive that. But then me also choosing to forgive those people who would hurt me. And it is a choice. And it, we, we can't wait to feel it. We've got to act and obediently walk forward in forgiveness. And what I've learned is that when we choose to forgive, he will then heal our hearts and help our hearts catch up. But we've got to first make that choice to forgive. It is a choice. Wow. That's pretty powerful. So how does one just wake up and decide to forgive somebody that's hurt them or caused so much pain in their life? Yeah, it's 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 something I, I work with a lot of people with. In fact, I've written, I told you earlier, I've written a women's Bible study um, that talks about the power of forgiveness. And so um, it is something that is not a one-time event. It's not like you just wake up one day and go, okay, I forgive. I'm all good now. It's like, sometimes you have to like, you have to, you have to war in your spirit and pray and will yourself to keep saying, I choose to forgive. And you'd say it multiple times. And, and I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit will help you because he does crystal. He does command us to forgive. He does command us to forgive. And in Matthew 18, if you look at Matthew 18, which you probably read, um, he talks about the, um, the, the master who forgave the servant that owed him money and he could have thrown him, thrown him in prison. And instead he had mercy because the master's like, please have mercy. And he did. And he said, okay, I'm not gonna throw you in prison. You can never pay me back. And he set him free. And then the servant saw a friend in town who owed him a large amount of money. And the friend said, have mercy. And he said, no, I'm not gonna have mercy. I'm gonna throw you in prison for the debt you owe me. And so when the, when the master heard about this, he's like, what I'm paraphrasing, of course, but I, I forgave you and you can't forgive that person. And this is the key. He says, I'm going to throw you in prison for this. And I'm going to allow the jailers to torment you. So when I read that, I had this revelation that when we walk in unforgiveness, when we operate and choose not to forgive, we are allowing demonic forces into our life where it's a gateway to the enemy. It's a gateway to the demonic. I'm not trying to over-spiritualize it, but I believe that I see it. Totally and so we've got to close that door by choosing to forgive no matter how many times it takes us to get there. It's a process. So there's scriptures as seven times 77. Yes. I remind myself of that. Yes. I have to say, well, how many times does somebody have to hurt me over and over and over again? And why do I have to keep forgiving him? Well, because he commands us to forgive seven times 77. Yeah. Uh, Look how many so, times he's forgiven us. 
Right. Yeah. And then there's that. <laughs> exactly. I mean, we're perfect, right? No. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No. <laughs> exactly. And when you and I, and Crystal, what I have discovered, what I believe is as a result of this early, early in my Christian walk of this encounter and this revelation and experience of forgiveness, what it did is it delivered me from the bitterness that was, that was blocking um, my ability to walk in that full freedom, bitterness and, and, and resentment was consuming my heart prior to all this. And I was able to let that go, which let, which, which allowed me to be in a heart position to receive the love and the grace and the mercy of Christ and to walk in that. And I'm still learning every day. Of course, I'm not saying I'm perfect, but it allowed me to grab a hold of my identity because it wasn't choked out by bitterness, resentment, and things that, that I, I can't, you know, uh, couldn't control. I was able to let that go into God's capable hands and say, he's going to deal with the outcome. He's going to deal with the restoration. He wants my whole heart. And so I have to give him my whole heart right? That's my choice. So beautiful. And it is, I mean, forgiveness is choosing. Um, so do you have a relationship with your dad currently because of all of the things and you right. that you see him a little bit different? Yes. Great, great question. Um, so my dad, um, we did not see each other for 18 years. Um, and during that time I had become a believer and I reached out to him many times to try to resume a relationship only to be uh, rejected. And so I would just continue praying for him and living my life. He didn't know my kids, never met my, never met my children. He met my husband one time, but, um, back, uh, three years ago, my dad had a medical emergency and I got a call from one of his neighbors. He still lives out where I grew up that, um, that uh, he was on in ICU and um, the, and he was asking for me. And so here I was at work and like my dad's asking for me and I'm like, okay, here's our chance, you know? And so <clears throat> I drove the two and a half hours to get to the hospital and um, you know, it was a hallmark moment in a way because my dad woke up and there I am, you know, and I didn't know for a minute, like, how's he going to respond? And he just opened his arms wide and we hugged and I was very um, hopeful and, um, you know, uh, served him and he had to go through convalescent and recovery and all that. And my family and I served him and, you know, um, out of love and just wanting to have that restored relationship. Um, and, so the answer to the question is I'm totally forgiven him. He has no more power over me to hurt me, but my dad hasn't not changed much. And so I am now navigating a relationship with someone that is still has some toxicity and how to, how to navigate that with boundaries, but with also love. And so that's, that's the, I think the challenging part is what that looks like. Uh, that, that is really and there's a lot, I know a lot of people that have issues with parents that have been abusive and continue the toxicity, toxic yeah. behavior, and then having to have strong boundaries. So do you, um, we got to wrap up, but is there words of wisdom of how you set boundaries? And is there, is there any words of wisdom on, on the setting the boundaries and, and having that relationship, but with the boundaries? Well, the main thing that when I get a tirade of texts from my dad, which I won't go into detail, where it's like, he's just thinking about the past and it's like almost like just like diarrhea, I'm sorry to say, but diarrhea out of his own thoughts and into a text to me, you know, it's like all of a sudden I get this barrage of just angry texts, um, is to realize that he's in tremendous pain, number one, so I can have some, so I pray for him. But number two is just to, um, most of the time ignore it. And so what I'll usually do is I will not even respond because I could retaliate in my flesh. I could want to say, oh yeah, what about this or that? But no, oh, no, no, I'm not going to do that. Um, going to walk Holy away. Holy Spirit help. <laughs> yes, exactly. Holy Spirit help. 
and give us some time. And then maybe I'll let a week or so go by and pray about it and wait for the leading of the Holy Spirit. And then I'll respond to my dad. So when do you want to come to dinner next? You know, like I'll totally, like most of the time, honestly, Crystal, I totally ignore that stuff. And because I am secure in my identity in Christ, I truly am my dad. And because I've forgiven him, he has no more power over me. I don't need my dad's approval. I don't need my dad's affirmation of who I am because I have that for my heavenly father who is perfect and loves me perfectly. So I don't need anything from my dad. I'm telling you. And like, it's like a miracle. I don't need anything from my father. You know That's what I'm saying? Awesome. And so I can look at him from just a perspective of, wow, he's a, a hurting human and just ignore that stuff and just reach out when I feel like I'm led. And when I'm and you know what? And also, um, I want to be able to be my best with my dad. So I need to have boundaries so I can be my best with him. So if I respond to that stuff, I'm not going to be my best. I'm going to let my flesh come out. Right. And so I just, honestly, it's just that it's listening to the Holy spirit. It's letting stuff go. And it's not needing anything from my dad because I'm secure as a daughter of God. I think a, a tip, a really good tip was that you look at him as a hurting person and honestly yeah. like hurting people hurt people. So yes. And allowing him to just, well, I mean, you're not really allowing, not engaging with the toxic behaviors. I think that's huge. So thank you for that. Um, and you mentioned a, a book that you have written. What is the name of that book and where yes. can you find it? Yes, it's called Rise and Rejoice, A Heart Transformation Journey for Women. And it's on Barnes and Noble online. It's uh, on Amazon. And it's also our website, which is riseandrejoiceministries.com. People could order that as well, along with teaching videos. Um, and it is a six-week study. It's very personal. It's not like your normal Bible study. It's very, very deep into the heart um, because that's where transformation is. Right. Transformation is definitely heart. It's yes. you can't it's just heart. do it in your mind. It is all heart and yes. a whole yeah. lot of Jesus. Yeah, so, exactly. Awesome. Okay. Well, I'm really excited. I think that I would love to order that and maybe do a Bible study with our tapestry network. So I would love um, that. I'll connect with you after that about, about it. So, okay. Well, I'm so excited, Heather. Thank you so much for your time. Um, really, really, really excited for what God is doing. And thank you so much for sharing your story with us and your testimony. It's amazing. Thank you for asking me. And I just, I just will be praying blessings over your ministry, Crystal. You're such a light and such an authentic, beautiful woman of God. So thank you for having me today. Oh, thank you.